Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Again, welcome to the uh, second hour of Mornings with Carmen. Uh, welcome to those of you joining us on Facebook Live as well. The reason that we are um, that we are celebrating today, well, we're celebrating lots of things today, but I am celebrating my tenth anniversary. And joining me is my sweet husband Jim. Good morning. Good morning, honey. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, dear. So we're going to um, spend the first segment today uh, talking about marriage. We are going to talk about how we met. We're going to talk about uh, things that have happened in the course of our marriage over 10 years. And we're going to talk about um, the road ahead. So my invitation to you today is to be thinking about um, the way that Christ relates to the church as a bride. Because God actually tells us in Scripture um, that marriage is not about us. Um, It is about something else. And so, Jim, what is marriage ultimately about? Well, marriage um, represents the relationship between Christ and his church. And the creation of a home, in many ways, reflects God's relationship to his children. So, yes. So when we, um, when we met, and, uh, and I think both had marriage in mind, right? I mean, we didn't actually oh, meet meet until we both had marriage in mind. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so... Um, <clears throat> When you think back and you say to yourself, why this person? Well, I had a pretty clear idea of what I was hoping to find. And so I kind of, what we call shoot shot for the moon. And um, in my uh, series of criteria, I had very, very clear ideas about what I was looking for. And I went for the moon. I, I wanted somebody that I could be number two with. There you go. And uh, yeah, and the number one would be a, a, a long, far uh, ahead of me, and that would be God. Yeah, and the same is true for me. So I was looking for someone who um, was already a mature Christian and wanted to be in a marriage with another mature Christian um, for the advance of the gospel. Absolutely. And yeah, so um, so Jim LaBerge is my guest today. We're going to take a very brief break, and we we come back. We're going to reflect on ten years of marriage. You're okay. listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Good morning. Happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, for a cheerful toast. Happy anniversary. All right, so um, Jim does not have headphones on in uh, in the Which studio. Which is just fine. Okay, so um, so Jim, you and I have not uh, talked in advance about what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, so I'm going to basically interview you. Is that okay. good? Yeah, that's okay. great. So here was my, um, my first reflection uh, this morning. So 10 years. It's been wonderful, yes. but it has not 
been without its complexities. No, not at all. And so here were some of the complexities that I uh, I made a list of. Um, Larry's cancer, mm-hmm. a wounded Marine who came home from war, yeah. the death of uh, each of us lost a very, very dear friend. Mm-hmm. Matthew has had many surgeries. We have had uh, lots of transitions with kids and some legal challenges related to that. We've gotten two kids through college. We've had mm-hmm. three kid weddings. We've mm-hmm. had five plus grandbabies. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had some great family trips. You and I have had oh. trips to France and Israel and Colorado and Montana and Florida and other places. We've had lots of weekends at the Mountain House. Mm-hmm. In these 10 years, we have both made job transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, me, I've made several. Um, we have each written and published a book. Right. That's kind of significant. Yeah. We have remodeled more than one house. Yeah. And we have added dogs, chickens, cows, and puppies. And I can only think of one real regret along the whole way. Really? Guinea, guinea pigs. Oh, God. <laughs> hey, folks, you don't want them. <laughs> terrible. Right? Yeah, absolutely. That was one regret in 10 years oh, oh, was yeah. the guinea pigs. So bad. Oh, so bad. It's so awful. Don't just don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. So as you think back over 10 years, let's just, you know, what, what's it been like? Oh, goodness. Who married this woman? Like, that's what people often said at the beginning. It has been uh, kind of a paradox. It's been a moment and it's been a lifetime. It's, but in in summary, it's just been wonderful. It's been everything I'd hope, you know, marriage to be, uh, to have a friend, um, have a partner to share life with, to have someone to love unconditionally. And someone that I care for and someone that cares for me. It's been just a, a great joy, a gift from God, really. Has there been a surprise along the way? <laughs> surprise. Uh, oh, gal, you put me on the spot there to think of Well, okay, surprise. so the very first meal that I ever cooked you oh, <clears throat> was horrible. Um, well, but, my wife is but a the... great cook, by the way. And she cooks exactly the kind of things that I love. In exactly the right way. She's great. Well, everybody should have a cook like my wife. You'd, every mm. every husband would be happier if uh, he had a cook Aww. like my wife. Absolutely. But, but the you, first one was a little rough. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you never really get the same meal twice. No, never. No, so my wife is creative, very creative, as you might imagine. And so she kind of wings it. You know, she has in her mind what would taste good, and she puts together and and by the way, she can cook two or three meals at the same time if she happens to be going away, which she does at times. Um, she'll cook two or three meals in the, in, in the course of, you know, an hour. Yeah, I don't know what other people are doing. Yeah, yeah, it takes other people like yeah, all day to get yeah, a yeah, meal put together. Yeah, and you, you should really be able great. to do it in like 15 or 20 but minutes. It, but but answer the question is you uh, because it's all kind of at in the moment, spur of the moment, you basically never get exactly the same meal twice in a row, ever. Sometimes it comes back <laughs> around, but... But everything good starts with an onion, though. Yeah, Jim has learned that everything good starts with an onion. Yeah, I mean, in, in the savory dish category, yeah, yeah, which is mostly what I make. Yeah. I have taught him how to make um, pie. I mean, he was already a good pie. You're a really good pie maker. Well, I like make you filling. make you make the really excellent fruit pies, but you've also now learned to make other pies, and now you're quite the pie guy. I like pie. I know jello pie, <laughs> pudding pie, pudding pie. Okay, um, we met on eHarmony. Yes, and um, you are my person. And you came with a lot of other people. Indeed. And you came with books. Yeah. We we each have a library. I think this is part of one of the things that makes our marriage so great is we each have our own space where we have our books and mm-hmm. our, our, study, um, our study time, our study space. Um, but one of the things that uh, maybe has been most important to me along the way is that you have loved my people. Absolutely. 
Well, loving your people has really been easy because your people have loved me. And, you know, my hope is to be a blessing to you. And your people are part of that. And so to bless you, um, it, it, it's very easy to share you with the people that you love and who love you. So, yeah. So I am um, talking with my sweet husband, Jim LaVerge. We're talking uh, on this, our 10th anniversary. Yay. So 10 years ago today was the day before our wedding. And we had, well, uh, I mean, yeah, like right, it's, right. it's Friday. Right, so, right. I mean, I recognize that if you're going by the date, today's our anniversary. Yes. But in terms of our experience, it was the Friday prior to the Saturday. We got married on Saturday mm-hmm. morning. Um, little shout out to Howard Eddington. Yay, Thank you so Howard, much. Yes. Thank you for marrying us. Yes. Howard was quite imposing at that moment, talking about the love that needs to be deep and wide and looking at me, burrowing down, you better love this girl. This is my daughter. You better love her. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I, right with you. Yes, Howard. We love you. Absolutely. We, we totally do. love you. Um, you know, his grandkids call him Big Daddy, which I, I totally that. love. <laughs> yeah, he's a big guy. Um, so a little shout out to Big Daddy today. So um, you touched on this early on, but... Um, me, I mean, you picked me, like, you know, of all the people you might have picked. Um, you picked me, but um, not me first, God first. Absolutely. And that's true for each of us. Well, and that's that's the important thing, you know. Um, we, without God in our lives, we're just guessing at everything. We're, we're, we go by emotion. We have no basis for any rational decisions. But when God is there, he puts everything to perspective of who we are, um, what he wants us to be. And then when you find somebody else who loves God, you know, completely, totally, fully, and first, then you have that in common and it just blends beautifully. All right, we're going to take a very brief break. When um, when we come back, um, I'm going to ask Jim to talk about uh, his love of God, his growing knowledge of God, his love of the Word of God, um, and that our marriage really isn't about us. So mm-hmm. that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'll be yours All right, we have some shout-outs here on the text line. Uh, Jim says, happy 10th anniversary, Jim and Carmen. God bless you. Uh, David says, heartfelt congratulations to Carmen and Jim on your anniversary. Uh, Caroline says, big congrats and blessings on your wedding anniversary. Uh, Happy anniversary, uh, Carmen and Jim. Thank you for sharing life with us. Well, thank you for sharing your life with us as well, Um, each and every Day. I mean, one of the transitions that we have made is this transition. Like, I moved into radio. I had never mm-hmm. done that before. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to morning radio. And Indeed. we have had to make some family adjustments around that. Like, I have to go to bed. Really, really early. <laughs> really early. <laughs> and so in order to get up at 4 in the morning and do this, right? And so we've had to make some family adjustments. So um, your willingness to adjust to ministry has been really great. And I've been really, really blessed by that. Well, that was one of the agreements just for you who are listening need to know is that there was one uh, non-negotiable when we began to think about a long-term relationship. And that was neither one of us would hinder the other in what they believe God wanted them to do. In fact, we, we mutually agreed to support each other, which was very easy to do because that's what we wanted for ourselves. And so it was very easy to say, yes, that's what I want for you. And so ultimately, you know, life is not about us. It's about pleasing God. And as my dear friend Glenn Johnson said, there's no reason to get married 
unless you can be better Christians together, then you could be apart. So shout out to Glenn Johnson. Amen. Thank you, Glenn. Lori, we love you guys. Thank you for celebrating us with us 10 years ago and continuing to celebrate with us today. Um, marriage uh, isn't really about us. It is, um, I mean, I think that one of the things that we talked about was, you know, why would we get married? And part of it was recognizing that we could be better Christians together yeah. then, but that also um, it could be redemptive, that there were some people in both of our lives who, for whom marriage needed to be redeemed. Well, we, we could be, be, not only could we be better Christians, but, you know, the goal is to live in the presence of God and love him and serve him. And that, I guess that does mean maybe being better Christians, but we could help each other do that. Mm. I could help you be a better Christian. You could help me be a better Christian. We would be better together than we could be apart. Absolutely. Um, uh, we talk about um, redeeming marriage for the next generation and living into the reality of what we're each and all ultimately going to be forever and ever, which is a part of the uh, of the bride, you know, a member of the church, the body of Christ, um, the the very bride of uh, of Jesus, the bridegroom. How does marriage here help help prepare us um, for you know an eternal an eternal reality of I mean, I think that we tend to think about being, you know, in heaven as God's kids, Mm -hmm. but we don't maybe think very much about the heavenly reality of an eternity as the bride of Christ. Hmm. Well, there there are many metaphors, as you know, in the Bible that that describe the relationship of of Christians to God, and one of them is the metaphor of the bride and the bridegroom, and um, you know, for the bride and the bridegroom, there is a special rapture a special love, a special tenderness, a special devotion, a totality of devotion that the marriage relationship reflects, you know, maybe better than anything else. You know, it's wonderful to have a father uh, and and to think of God as our father. It's totally incomprehensible. It's wonderful to think of Jesus as our Lord and our brother and as God as our God. But in marriage, there's a special type of intimacy that um, is unique. And and that's reflected in the relationship between the man and the woman and what a joy it is. I love our marriage. I love Me being too. married to you. I love worshiping with you. That's Amen. one of my favorite things. Oh, absolutely. Is being, um, being in worship with you. Well, I love knowing that when I've learned something in the Scripture or God has spoken to me, that when I share it with you, you're right there. And you're rejoicing and, and glorying and wondering in God himself. And there's that wonderful partnership that we have as we discover things about God and as we grow closer to him, that is just incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. It's my favorite part of our marriage. Um, what do you, um, what do you expect on the road ahead? Uh, I mean, I do expect there to be continued complexities, Yeah. but one of the things that we often say, and we say fairly frequently is all the way all home. All the way home. Yeah. yeah. What does that mean? Well, again, you know, we understand we're pilgrims. This is not home. This is, it's wonderful. It's blessed, and and we enjoy it right now. But ultimately, we look forward to the day when um, when the temporal veil will be pulled away, and we'll be in the presence of God. And the thought of walking there together, and that veil being pulling, pulled back, and us at the first moment gazing upon Him whom we've loved, and desired, and longed for together is just and to know that you feel that same way, that you long for that and you anticipate that is just 
it's an amazing and wonderful um, um, partnership. Yeah. Yeah. All the way home to the father's house is something that Jim and I say to one another. Um, I think that the expectation of an ever deepening companionship, recognizing that uh, each of us continues to grow in our maturity of faith um, and in our walk with the Lord. And as we each get closer to him, we invariably then, you know, are drawn closer to one another. Absolutely. Um, In the years ahead, I am looking forward to more soul time, (laughs) which um, we have these two chairs and there's an ottoman that sits in between them. And Jim sits in his chair and I sit in my chair and we put we press the soles of our feet together. And that's our little soul time that we have. Yeah, I love that. I I love it. It just, you know, people, you know, marriage is about connecting with another person whom you love. And for that to happen well, there needs to be time, specific time. And that's a just something we do, and um, we get to enter in each other's world and uh, recognize that that's, you know, that that's a, a, just a precious and intimate experience. So um, after this this morning, you're going to go record a video. Yes, I am. Which, what is it going to be about? What are you uh, teaching? I'm teaching the book of First Peter, and um, this is going to be the fourth lesson. And, my, of course, my purpose, as you know, is to teach the content of Scripture, but also present uh, a, a teaching methodology that people can uh, grow into and learn so that as they study the Bible, they can be better students, that they can experience God for themselves in the Word. And so those two dual purposes are kind of in play and kind of learning how to juggle that at this point. Yeah, and you teach in such a way as to increase the confidence of the person studying Scripture exactly. that they're actually getting they're getting to the truth of what God has communicated. Right. So, you know, let let me say this. So, and I tell people this all the time, if you pick up your Bible, open it up with an honest heart and read, God will meet with you and it will be a wonderful thing. But God actually has more for us than just devotional type reading. He wants us to long for the pure milk of the word. He wants us to study, to show ourselves proof. He wants us to engage him with our minds. And God has communicated objective truth about himself in his word. And how we handle that says more about us uh, than perhaps anything else. Do we handle God's Word with care and scholarship and and devotion? And, uh, yeah, to teach people to study it and and learn and to know God better is is great joy. Um, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. I love you very much. Thank you for... um, I know that yeah, this, this is weird. I know this is hard for you, <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for yeah. getting out of your comfort zone yeah. this morning and yeah. joining us on air. I really appreciate it. Happy anniversary. Dear. Happy anniversary, dear. All right. Go, um, go film. All right. You can find him at jimleberge.com. How cool is that? I know. I know. All right. Thank you all so very much. We're going to take a brief break for Breakpoint. Okay, so we often think about um, the call and command to reach our neighbors for Jesus, but how do you do that if your neighborhood is vertical? I'm going to talk with Linda McKibben next about my vertical neighborhood, how strangers became a community. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. Jesus was accused of much, but he was never described as a grump or sourpuss or self-centered jerk. People didn't groan when he appeared. He called them by name. He listened to their stories. He answered their questions. 
He visited their sick relatives, and he helped their sick friends. He fished with fishermen. He ate lunch with the little guy, and he spoke words of resounding affirmation. He went to weddings. He went to so many parties that he was criticized for hanging out with questionable people. Thousands came to hear him. Hundreds chose to follow him. They walked away from careers to be with him. His purpose statement read, I came to give life with joy and abundance. John 10:10. Jesus was happy and wants us to be the same. This is Max Locato, and this is how happiness happens. When mama prayed, good things happen. When mama prayed, Joining me now, Linda McGibbon. I want to invite you to visit her website, lindamcgibbon.com. We are going to talk today about her book, My Vertical Neighborhood. Linda, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Great to be here. Okay. I totally want to be your friend because you are brave. (laughs) Thank you. I think I'd like to be your friend, too. So tell tell people what you did when you were 49 years old, because it's a little bit wacky for some people. That's probably true. When I was 49, I was offered the opportunity to move from a small city of about 100,000 people on the east coast of Canada to, to, to move to Toronto, which is uh, one of the, four, you know, the fourth largest city in the world, I think, Canada's largest city. Um, so I was invited to do this for a job. Uh, initially, I did not want to do it. I was quite content um, in the community that I lived in. Um, re- not entirely content, but reasonably content. And uh, But I said yes. I said yes to the move, which took me from my house and land um, to uh, an apartment in a high-rise condo building on the edge of the city. Yeah, here were some um, lines that stood out to me early, very, very early. So, um First of all, you kind of were recognizing a need for upheaval. Uh, and then you say, well, sometimes when I'm feeling stuck, I rearrange the furniture or I cut my hair. Well, yeah, but this time you allowed yourself to be completely uprooted. Um, and you took this new job and meant relocating to um, to Toronto. And you say in here, you know, I went from living close to the land uh, right. to living high in the sky, 15 floors off the ground. And a couple paragraphs after that, you you ask this question um, and I want you to take us to this moment. Uh, I imagine you're looking out the window when you when you have this question come to you and you share it with us. Who lives in all those boxes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a question I ask a lot. I, um, in addition to transferring for, with the job to Toronto, I I came to Toronto with a question, which is really what the book is all about what does it mean to love my neighbor? Why did God invite me to love my neighbor? Why do we have this this command, which Jesus said is, you know, the greatest of commands, love God, love your neighbor. And I was surrounded by high-rise buildings with hundreds and hundreds of people living in these small apartments. And, um, you know, in a communal space, because we all go out and walk the same parks, but all in these little boxes. And, and I wondered, you know, how, who's, who are they? And they are actually literally, literally my neighbors. So how do I get to know them? What does it mean to live here amongst them, be another person in one of these little boxes? It was uh, right in my face. 
So talk with us about understanding, you know, an apartment building, a condo building, uh, a, a, ver- a vertical building. Help us understand that as a neighborhood. That is really like a, an early lesson we need to learn um, in, term- in terms of then having the extended conversation about community. I suppose, you know, if um, a neighbor is anybody who is immediately in front of you at any given moment, which is what I have come to believe the definition of neighbor to be, to be you know, present to that person, to respond to whatever need or experience they expect to have with you or you with them. So um, a vertical building, a high rise is just as much a neighborhood as a street in a suburb or a downtown row house street. Um, it's, it's the place where people are. And, and and it's not just the random people you might encounter, like in the Good Samaritan story, but it's actually the people who you are going to encounter on an ongoing basis. They're right there all the time around you. So surrounded, surrounded. So which, you know, can turn neighborhoods into communities, but neighborhoods don't necessarily get turned into communities. Often neighbors are always these strangers to us. And we think about them sometimes more often than strangers than neighbors. But I wonder if, Thinking about them as neighbors would help us take the next step. Oh, I have no doubt it would help us take the next step. And um, I appreciate how you share your own story of taking the next step. I I appreciated and I really resonated with you know your description of um, of yourself as a Christian. You know, engaged in the local church, involved in. Uh, you know, in a Bible study one evening a week or in a community group or a small group. Um, and then you say, you know, that didn't leave much room for anyone else. Specifically, it meant I didn't have, excuse me, much time for my neighbors, for the people I might encounter who did not share my beliefs about God or any of my other values um, either. Um, talk about, we have to get to the place where we recognize it might require, it is going to require, me breaking my own routine in order to actually reach my neighbor. I think that's one of the greatest tensions for us as Christians, because we're called to be in community with with each other. We're called to be the body of Christ, and we want to be together. But we're also called to be available to to other people, to, to love our neighbors, to reach out to people, to share the good news. And so we have to intentionally think about where am I spending my time? How am I using my time? And as I made this move to Toronto, I looked back on my life and realized exactly what the quote you read says, that I I'd filled up a lot of the hours of my day with people who thought just like me, who believed just like me, um, who were really comfortable to be around for the most part. <laughs> but where was the where was the time in my life? Where was the freedom in my life to actually meet other people who might not think like me, who might not believe like me, but were my neighbors? So I had to intentionally decide not to do some things, not to join some things, not to spend all my time with Christian friends, but to leave space for the possibility that there would be other people who would come in and fill up that space. And that happened. Creating room for the possibility of other people, rearranging um, our own routines in order to make space for the encounters with people who um, are in our line of sight. If you're thinking to yourself, wow, I really want to read this book. I want to know um, what Linda McGibbon has learned about her vertical neighborhood and how strangers become a community. We're giving away copies today from our friends at InterVarsity Press. So um, if you're saying to yourself right now, I, I long 
to uh, to be the kind of neighbor that God is calling me to be, to love my neighbor um, intentionally. Let us uh, help equip you to do that. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Linda, if, um, um, when you think about like the one takeaway that you hope people have from not just reading the book, but actually like engaging with the material, what would your like one hope for takeaway be? My one hope for takeaway is that people would take a risk Hmm. uh, to step out and meet somebody, to have a conversation with somebody, even if it's brief, um, to to engage with a person they don't know and discover that there's worth there's something worth knowing in that person, that uh, that person will discover there's something worth knowing about the about them that this exchange is the beginning of everything, I think. So I, my real hope is that it sparks conversations, even if it's just a hello, how are you in a meaningful way with a person who lives next door to you or underneath you or above you or whatever your neighborhood looks like, or the person on the bus or the person in your workplace, that it will open up people to think, oh, there's something of value in this person that is in right in front of me right now. Why don't I explore that? Yeah, I love that. All right, uh, Linda McGibbon and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You can find her online. She's got a uh, a, a very active blog site, lindamcgibbon.com. And yes, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies of My Vertical Neighborhood that we're giving away today. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Linda McGibbon, we are talking about her new book, My Vertical Neighborhood, How Strangers Became a Community. Um, I want to talk about Fran from the 11th floor, and then I want to fast forward to sort of the place, the moment at which you sort of realized that community had been achieved. Sure. Okay. What would you like to know about Fran? Yeah, tell us about Fran from the 11th floor. It's where, yeah, the, it's I mean, where the book opens, and it's just kind of a fun, I think, a fun entry sure. point into the conversation. Yeah, Fran was the one of the first people I ever met when I moved into the building. In fact, I met her on a day when I was literally carrying up items from my car after driving across the country. And she was quite friendly and smiled at me and said to me, if you need anything, come find me. You know, I live on the 11th floor. Um, but she didn't give me her phone number at, at that point in time um, or any way for me to reach her. So I didn't really know what to do. Do I go knock on all the doors and look for Fran? <laughs> Kept my eye out from, for her, but didn't see her again until, oh, goodness, um, another another year or so when it turned out that uh, she she came with another neighbor to a Monday night dinner that a, that a, a friend who had moved into the building and I started hosting Monday night dinners every single Monday night, an open door dinner for anybody who wanted to come. And uh, Fran showed up one night and then became um, a very dear friend and a very significant part of this community that was forming um, as people ate together initially and then gathered together to do other things as well. But the beginning of forming community was a Monday night meal that, that we hosted, as I said, up for about five years, every Monday night, pretty much. <laughs> So I, when I read that, I thought to myself, um, that is that is this that is a similar testimony 
um, to Rosaria Butterfield, who talks about, you know, just uh, having an open door dinner at her home. Like anybody is just welcome to show up at the table. Um, and, you know, and she talks about that in, um, in the gospel comes with a house key. I, I think that there, and I'm, and, and there's a pastor out on the West Coast named Adam, whose, whose book comes to mind, um, Jesus Eats with Sinners. Like I, or Eats with Sinners, maybe Jesus isn't even in the title. But I mean, like, right, we're, we recognize the role that open hospitality plays, that an open table plays, um, that food and a, a shared meal plays. And I mean, you know, certainly as people who recognize the sacrament of the Last Supper, like we get it that... There's something that happens over broken bread. Um, just talk about your experience of the way community is created in those times and in those spaces. Yes, I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I've also heard of other people. There's a woman who's written a book about her blue table that she's got out on her. On her oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, picnic yeah, table, picnic table yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Just, and I've heard from other people who say they just started sitting outside even during the pandemic so they could engage with people. But I do, just like you, I believe that food is sacramental and the breaking of bread does something to us um, as people. Um, there's an invitation to share. Uh, there's, a, there's an offer of hospitality. Um, we generally, my, my friend Rachel or I were the ones who cooked the meals and she cooked most of them, always in abundance, always more than enough. Um, and interestingly enough, on the nights when we thought, oh, we're not going to have enough, we always had enough. But people also started to bring uh, food and beverages with them and eventually started inviting us to their homes as well. So it had this multiplying effect. And it wasn't so much about, I mean, the food was good and plentiful, as I said, but I don't think it's about putting on a, a really fancy, you know, four-course dinner that we, we sometimes think that we have to have the house perfectly tidy and we have to have everything in order. But uh, years ago, in, in when I lived back east, I was part of a group in my church, and we decided every Sunday to have what we called the, the soup group. And one person would make a pot of soup, and we would invite anybody who was new in church that day to come home with this group and eat. And we decided on soup because you said, you know, you can always add a cup of water to soup and make it go farther. <laughs> so I don't think it has to be fancy. Um, but uh, I have another friend, um, from Central Asia, who once told me that her grandmother always had the ingredient of love that went into anything that she was preparing. And I've never forgotten that either. You know, oh, put the ingredient of love in as you're as you're preparing, as you're making the space, you know, for your friends to come, for neighbors to come. And it will translate. So I think food is incredibly important to establishing, creating community. So I love to cook. And uh, and hospitality is is one of my love languages in terms of the one I like to give um, and and probably the one I like to receive as well. Um, it, there is something about allowing community to form organically over something that we all do. And so sharing a meal seems a really obvious example of that. How do you mm -hmm. then sort of take the next step? Because community is not just sitting at table fellowship together? That's that's true. That's, and that's a really great question because what happens at table at community often is the conversation can be fairly superficial. Some people will never talk at all if they're introverts. Um, so my friend Rachel and I thought a lot about that and we decided to do a couple of different things. The first thing we decided to do was start a writer's group. We talked about starting a book club. What we were looking for was a place where we could go a little deeper into conversation where people might start to share 
more about their lives. And the book club idea was a good one, but we thought, well, people would maybe just resort to just talking about the book. And we really want to hear people's stories about their lives. So we started this writers group, which continued on every month for a goodness about seven years. And um, we would just gather around a table. Again, there was always food, but we would write and people weren't necessarily writers, but we would choose a word. People would come into the room, they would read whatever it was they had written. And usually it sparked conversations about their lives and our own lives and our own struggles or our own triumphs or it was a very sacred space and we grew to know each other in really deep and significant ways so that was one thing we did another thing we did was a was a weekly bible study for a couple of years um and that again was an opportunity to have people come and read the bible who'd never read it before um, or others who had, but wrestle with the stories of Jesus. We did the Gospel of John. So we we wanted to do things that um, gave a foundation, I guess, and a permission to ask deeper questions and have deeper conversations. Again, in a welcoming space, in a place that people felt comfortable and where good conversations could be had. It's just, um, it's just excellent. All right, we've been talking uh, with uh, Linda McGibbon about my vertical neighborhood, how strangers became a community. If you want to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away today, text the word book to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Linda, one more question um, before we let you go, uh, because you have this really intriguing job title. You're the vice president of people and culture for InterVarsity <laughs> Canada. What, That's what right. does that mean? Because that's a cool, I want a job like that. Well, um, the the president of university who gave that job to me, um, he's been with us for a couple of years. He tells me that I could also just call it the uh, the vice president of making things better. So basically. <laughs> that's a great, it's, I love that. It's a, it's, a, it's a job that thinks about, are our people doing well? Are they mm. thriving? Are we, um, are we Oh, the people and you know, culture inside of InterVarsity Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so I'm responsible oh, not for like, that. But because... Not like people and culture, like globally. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's such an undertaking. Well, it is an undertaking oh, no, to no, be no. the shepherd of, of hearts and souls right there on the inside as well. Okay, I love that. I love that. She's no, the vice president of making thrive, things better. Yeah, yeah. And then we will be able to do our work more effectively and, and, and more as we're called to do it if we're healthy. <gasps> I hope President Curitan is listening. I want to. I want that job at our university. There you go. There you so go. <laughs> good, right? The vice president of making things better, Linda. What a delight to uh, to meet you in this way. I look forward to breaking bread with you at some point. I'd love to be in your writers group. That sounds really fun. Prayer walking with you um, in your neighborhood sounds like fun as well. Check out uh, what Linda McGibbon is doing. You can find her online, Linda McGibbon her book is My Vertical Neighborhood. You want to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Linda, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been delightful. Completely delightful. We'll be right back. She loved the water in her time. She wants love grow. All right. I don't know about you, but I totally... Like, don't you want to go and have soup at her house, Paul? I'd go, yeah. I mean, right? All right. Where does she live? She lives in, I should know this. Toronto, in Toronto, Ontario. And you in can't Toronto. go there right now because they're under lockdown still. <laughs> We're actually locked out right now of Toronto. But um, in the spirit of, you know, 
crossing borders and things. We ought to we ought to go. Like we ought to visit there. We to invite ourselves over. Okay, she is really fun. Thank you, Paul, for for um, for inviting her. Like oh, no so, problem. Paul Paul comes up with some of these um, some of these opportunities for us. He is one of the finders of of people in terms of who we talk with. So a scourer. Uh, he Scour. is. He is. He's so good. It's so good. So it's a delight uh, to have been with you today. Thank you so much for including us in your day. Um, make this a weekend in which you pray for your neighbors. Maybe you meet a new neighbor. Um, go ahead. Do the maybe do the awkward thing and introduce yourself to the person who from whom you've been living down the street for ten or fifteen years. Um, it's time. It's time. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I love being your neighbor in this uh, way over uh, over the airwaves, over technology. Thank you so much for bringing us into your hearts and your homes each and every day. We pray for you. We count on you to pray for us as well. Um, blessings on you this weekend. Let's, uh, let's be the people who extend the grace of God to more and more people in these days in which we live. Have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.